0: chapter 8 it's been a while since we've been here in Deuteronomy many guests lots of things going on but Deuteronomy it means the second law Moses is going through these sermons where he's not only repeating the 10 commandments or the moral law or the ceremonial laws but he's really going to give them several sermons where he's going to remind Israel about their history He's going to warn them about what's coming up ahead. He's going to warn them to look within their hearts. And then at the end, Moses is going to take a warning for himself when God calls him home. But Deuteronomy chapter 8, let's read verse 1 through 5. It says, Every commandment which I command you today, you must be careful to observe, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land of which the Lord swore to your fathers. And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. To humble you and test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. So he humbled you and allowed you to hung- to, be hung- to hunger. And fed you with manna which you did not know. Nor did your fathers know that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son, so the Lord your God chastens you." Moses starts off in verse 1, reminding the nation of Israel that they needed to be careful. Be careful to observe every commandment which God has commanded them. God's given his word to us, not so we could puff up our heads. God's given his word to us, not that we could just feel fluffy and comfortable. God has not given his word to us so we could have several plaques or refrigerator magnets. God hasn't given his word to us so we have fresh posts to put on social media or to make memes. That's fun sometimes, right? But God has given us his word so that we would be careful to obey it. And when we are careful to obey God's word, what happens in the middle of verse 1? We live, we multiply, and we possess. This is what happens when we carefully observe his commandments. That word be careful in the Hebrew is the word to guard, to observe, to watch, and to keep. You can think of a soldier who is tasked with guarding something. It's the same word to be careful to obey this, observe this, watch this, guard this. It's the same word in Genesis 2, verse 15, when God tells Adam, he puts him in the garden and he tells him, you are to tend the garden and to keep it, to guard it, to observe it. In Genesis 3, 24, after God drives out Adam and Eve, he places a cherubim at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. Same word in the Hebrew. Finally, in Genesis 4 verse 9, when God turns to Cain and he says, hey, where is Abel your brother? Cain says, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? Same word in the Hebrew there. We need to, like a soldier, guard over our obedience to God's word. We have to be just as careful Just as diligent as a soldier guarding and standing watch, we need to be careful that we are observing and watching our obedience to God's word. Just as Adam was supposed to guard over and stand watch, just as the cherubim with the flaming sword was to guard the way to the Garden of Eden, so must we be careful And pay very close attention and defend our obedience to God's commands. Are you standing on guard that you're obeying God's word? Are you protecting yourself and your family from the great danger of disobeying God's word? Sadly today, there are many Christians who are surviving life. They're just surviving in this life. They're being thrown around. They are mopey. They are that eor Christian that's always down. And they're being tossed to and fro. But God's desire that we see here is that all believers would live, would multiply, and possess. God's desire for our life is not to just survive and get to heaven. God's desire for our life is that we would have life and that abundantly. But the only way that we truly live is when we're hearing God's word and when we're obeying God's word. That's how we go from just surviving in this life to truly living and flourishing and multiplying and possessing in this life. A couple of verses on this, they're, they're peppered all throughout Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. My son, do not forget my law, but let your heart keep my commandments. For length of days and the long life and peace they will add to you. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 10 says, Hear my son and receive my sayings, and the years of your life will be many. In Proverbs 9, verse 9, one of my favorite verses, I know I say that often, but there's a lot of favorite verses, a lot of awesome verses. Proverbs chapter 9, verse 9 says, Give instruction to a wise man, and he'll still be wiser. Teach a just man, and he will increase in learning. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. For by me, your days will be multiplied, and years of life will be added to you. Have you ever gone through a stressful season in life? Have you ever gone through a season in life when you're reaping what you've sown and all of a sudden you look in the mirror after two years and you say, what has happened to me? Have I been in a time warp? Who's this old man in the mirror? How did he get here? When we go through stressful and difficult and sinful seasons in life, it literally sucks the life out of us. It does. You you look at the, the CRD program in Maine and you have those before and after pictures of someone who's been addicted to drugs for two or three years and then once they're following the Lord for two to three years and it's the best before and after pictures you could ever think of. Because the way we truly live and absorb more life and blessing and joy is by obeying and keeping the Word of God. Psalm 34 puts it as a question for all of us. Who is the man who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? Anybody here desire life? I know I do, right? Anybody want more days in their life? I do. Anybody want to see good things in their life? Hey, two hands for me, right? If that's you, how do you do this? Psalm 34, verse 13. Keep your tongue from evil. Keep your lips from speaking deceit depart from evil and do good seek peace and pursue it be obedient to god's word and it's going to lead to more in your life the the promised land for us as believers it's not heaven the promised land speaks of a life of the believer that is powerful A life that overcomes sin. A life that has life and joy and peace. And our life is a byproduct of our obedience to God's word. Our life is a byproduct of our obedience to God's word. If you don't believe me, you could turn to Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 through 3. And we'll see the byproduct of a man who follows the word of God in everyday life and even night and day. Psalm chapter 1 verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night, He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Obey God, follow God's word, and here it tells us whatever we do, we will prosper. Not in a name and claim it type way, but as you're obeying God's word, your life is gonna have more life given to it because we're going to see in a moment the way we live is by the very word of God. Not just the very word, but every word of God. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew chapter 7 verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. Luke chapter 11 verse 28. And I've got a lot of scripture here tonight. I'll get the team to post the notes up after service. Luke chapter 11 verse 28. Jesus says, "More than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it." You're blessed if you hear God's word and keep it. Finally, John chapter 13 verse 17 says, "If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them." God's word, God gives us his word not so we could have cool magnets on our refrigerators. Not so that we can have cool backgrounds on our phones or cool tattoos. No, God has given us his word that we would be obedient to it because God desires for us to have a life, a multiplied life, and possess the land. Warren Wiersbe says the three essentials for Israel's conquest and enjoyment of the promised land were listening to God's word, obeying God's word, and remembering God's word. And they are still the essentials for a successful and satisfying Christian life today. As we walk through this world, we cannot succeed without God's guidance. And the moment we think we can succeed without God's guidance, we quickly stumble and fall and eat dirt. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. Moses continues his sermon and he says, And you shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness. We need to be reminded God is the one who has brought us this far. It wasn't our own doing. It wasn't our own strength. Paul puts it this way in Philippians chapter 1 verse 6. Being confident of this very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Where was Paul's confidence? In him. In the one who begun the good work, that he's going to complete it. And perhaps tonight you are going through difficulty right now. Perhaps tonight you're wondering if it's even worth it anymore to obey God's word. Perhaps right now you're thinking there's no way to move forward because of something that's happened. Take God's word. Take a step back and remember all that God has done for you. Remember when you first got saved. Remember your habits. Remember the crazy decisions that you used to make. And then realize just how far the Lord, your God, has brought you. Stand back and realize the good work that He has begun in you. Remember, remember who you are. Remember who you are in the sight of God. As the great prophet Mufasa said, right? Remember, 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 remember who your father is. Remember what he's done in your life. Remember where he's brought you from. And then realize he is more than able to continue that good work in your life until you see him face to face the dangers when we think we've done it all and now we've failed, we realize, okay, I, I failed, I can't do this. You're halfway there. The, the, the key thing now is to focus on the Lord, be obedient to Him, and trust that He's going to be faithful to complete it. Who's the one that stopped the armies of Egypt with the pillar of fire? Who's the one who opened the Red Sea so that they could cross over? Who's the one who closed the Red Sea and destroyed the armies of Egypt? Who healed the bitter waters of Mara? Who caused water to come out of the rock? Who is the one that caused manna to rain down from heaven? The Lord their God. It wasn't them. It wasn't their strength. It wasn't their great discipline or motivational videos they were watching. It was the Lord their God. It's God and His power and His blessings that have gotten us this far. And we need to be reminded it is His power and His blessings that will get us through the next difficulty in life until we see Him face to face. J. Vernon McGee says, If He's done that in the past, He will continue to do so in the future. Remembering is for our encouragement, and it is to give us assurance for the future. We go through ups and downs in life. It's good to be reminded of when we were in the down and in the pit and in the bottom and in the hospital bed. And how the Lord our God brought us out of it. He continues in verse 2. He says, to humble and test you. To know what was in your heart. Whether you would keep his commandments or not. God now reveals what he accomplished in the Israelites with the 40 years in the wilderness. He humbled them and he tested them to know what was in their heart. Now a great question is, did God need to find out what was in the heart of the Israelites? Was God wondering what was going on? Was God there as a chemist testing what would happen? All over scripture we know. 1 Samuel 16 verse 7. That God looks at the heart. Psalm 44 verse 21. Would not God search this out for he knows the secrets of the heart. Proverbs 21 verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts. So often we don't realize where our heart is at or sometimes we think we're pulling one on God. We think somehow we're in a sinful state, we're in a bad state, but he really doesn't know how bad we are. I don't know if you've ever seen those videos. They used to be on America's Funniest Home Videos all the time, where you have a parent with with their home video camera in the kitchen, and all of a sudden they start saying, Harvey, Harvey, did you touch the chocolate syrup? And you hear from upstairs, no, mom, not at all. The camera starts going in the house, and all of a sudden you see a little bit of chocolate syrup. A little bit more chocolate syrup and a little bit more chocolate syrup. You go up the stairs and there's chocolate syrup on the walls, right? And it seems as if there's a geyser of chocolate syrup upstairs. And then suddenly the camera pans and you see this child right in the bathroom. Covered head to toe in chocolate syrup. There's a Hershey's bottle in the garbage. And yet the parent will ask again, Harvey, did you touch the chocolate syrup, right? Sometimes God does this with us. And how often do we play this childish game with God, Zach? Is there anything you need to repent of? Nah, God, I'm good. Not at all, Zach. Are you sure you're doing okay? I'm doing absolutely fine, Lord. Zach, is there something that you should apologize to your wife about? Not at all, God. Not at all. She said she's fine. She's right. She's fine. She's, right? <laughs> Not at all, God. So often God allows tests in our life. So often God humbles us, not so that he can see who we are. He knows exactly who we are. But it's as if God turns the mirror around so we could realize the chocolate syrup that we're covered in. So we can realize just at the the, the lowest of the lows that we're in. Jeremiah 17 verse 9 tells us, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. The Lord our God, he knows our heart. He knows exactly where we're at. And he will allow trials and difficulties to test us so that we can really see what's going on. Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1, and if there was ever a disciple who tasted of this firsthand, it's Peter. The night that Jesus was going to be betrayed, Scripture tells us there at the Last Supper, Jesus warns the disciples, you guys are going to betray me tonight. And then Peter sort of turns around and says, yeah, Lord, I I told you these guys were a bunch of losers. I knew these guys wouldn't make it. But what did he say? Lord, I'm not, I'm not, I'll never desert you, Lord. I would, I would die before I leave you. And yet Jesus tells him, Peter, this very night it's going to happen. But afterwards, when you come back, you're going to encourage your brothers. All of that happens to Peter. He thought he was so strong. A trial comes up to see if you're going to obey God's commandments or not. And then we realize... Just how broken and needy we are. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6, Peter says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter thought his faith was that of a superhero, right? Super Christian. And then once the trial came, once a little girl asked him, hey, aren't you with Jesus? Right away he cowered in fear. In order to see truly and sadly his faith did not praise, honor, and glorify his Father in heaven. But hopefully one day we can grow to the point where we know our need of him and our trials reveal that our faith indeed praises, honors, and glorifies our Lord Jesus Christ. Earlier in Calvary Chapel, one of the pastors would say, Christians are like tea bags. You don't know what flavor they are until they're sitting in hot water. And we really know who we are when we're sitting in hot water. When we stub our toe. What's the first word that comes out, right? Real quick, you'll see what flavor you are. When someone rear-ends you. When someone cuts you off on traffic. This is a little bit of hot water, right? But you see who you really are. Then when you realize your electric bill is through the roof. When you realize there's a loan you didn't remember. When you, when you get the bad news from the doctor. When you, get, you realize you have cancer or a loved one. Hurt you, backstabbed you, has cancer, then you truly realize just where your faith is at. In James chapter 1, verse 2, James says, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. James continues in verse 12 of chapter 1, he says, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Family trials and difficulties will come. Let's stand firm in the Lord and in His Word that we will be able to endure the temptation so that we would receive that crown that one day we can throw back at His feet. Back to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. It says, So He humbled you and allowed you You to hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God humbled you. Our relationship with God, it begins with humility. And every time you want to mature with the Lord, it starts off with humility. Without humility, you're not going to see God. You're not going to be in a relationship with God. And without humility, you're not going to continue to grow with God. David Guzik says, All of God's education begins here. So he humbled you. Some never make it even past this first essential step. If we are not humble, if we are not teachable, then there's no point to the rest of any of God's education. It starts off with humility. First Peter chapter five verse five says, "Likewise, you younger, submit yourself to your elders." Yes, all of you, not just young, all of you, be submissive to one another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Humility. Be humble. Think of yourself less and less and less. Think of God more. Think of others more. Respect people more. And God is going to continue to raise you up. That hymn we sing from time to time... Come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready stands to save you, full of pity, love, and power. Let not conscience make you linger, nor a fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. just have to realize just how much you need him. And that takes humility. Matthew 5 verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. God wants us humble, and then God wants us dependent upon him. That's why he says, hey, I fed you with manna, which you didn't know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man shall not live by bread alone. Israel was completely dependent on the Lord their God. And it's great when we can know just how weak we are and just how dependent we are on the Lord before we have nothing. When you have nothing, then quickly you start begging and pleading with the Lord. It's great when we can get to that point before being there and saying, Lord, I desperately need you no matter what. I love Luke 7, 47. He that is forgiven much, loveth much. And sometimes people say, Lord, I really haven't sinned that bad. Wrong answer. You you don't realize what your sin has done to God the Father. You don't realize what your sin has costed Jesus Christ. And he that is forgiven much, loveth much, is just a person that has just realized how much We have been forgiven from. He fed them with manna which they did not know, nor did their fathers know. Did Israel understand how God was causing manna to rain down from heaven? I still don't understand it. But the same is true for us today. We will never understand all of God's word, but we are commanded to go out every morning and collect it bring it into our homes, receive it, and feed upon it daily by faith. Jesus repeats this in Matthew chapter 4 verse 4 when Satan tempts him to change the rocks into bread after 40 days of not eating. And Jesus responds saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Sadly for many of us, especially here in America, we think that life is all about bread and getting that bread. We think life is all about material possessions. Life is all about the bank account. We never have enough. We always need more. We always need something bigger. We need something better. We need something shinier. We are in constant chasing of material things. And having material things may help you survive in this world, but biblically you cannot live on material things alone. But man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. That was one of the big eye-openers when we went to Kenya. You have people that have so little, and yet they're so joyful. So joyful, so thankful, so happy... Me and some of the other dads, we were joking around. Suburbans, vans, excursions, these seven passenger vehicles, these eight passenger vehicles. We saw a family of five riding a dirt bike with a dirt bike driver. So we all sold our big SUVs and bought our wife's dirt bikes. No, that's not what we did, right? But very quickly you realize we don't need all of these material things. It's not a necessity for us. And because of the internet, we're chasing the upper, upper, upper echelon of material things. It's not enough to have one pair of shoes. We need right 40 pairs of shoes. It's not enough to have an okay pair of shoes. No, we need the creme de la creme pair of shoes. It's not enough to have one car. We need several cars. We need all of these material things. And you may be able to survive, but you will never live Unless you're feeding on every word of the living God. David Guzik says, you may exist by material things alone, but you will not live. Anyone thinking they live for bread alone is actually one of the living dead. And sadly, many rich people, many famous people, many people with so much wealth are so empty and end up committing suicide and have their families broken and falling apart. Have we come to the realization that material things are not everything? They're nice to have. They're good to have. But how much of our life, how much of our time, how much of our budget is going to eternal things and heavenly things? Revelation chapter 3 verse 17. Jesus warns one of the churches. You say, I am rich, become wealthy, and have need of nothing. And yet you do not know. That you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Family, we need a healthy diet of God's Word. And not just God's Word, every Word of God. Because it's, the o- it's only God's Word that will lead us to truly live and have life, and that abundantly. Charles Spurgeon says, You have never received spiritual life by your own feelings. It was when you believed God's word that you lived. And you will never get an increase of spiritual life and grow in grace by your own feelings or your own doings. It must still be by your believing the promises and feeding on the word of God. I I love the word of God because it's alive, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, and you see something new every time. It just jumped off the page to me that man lives not just by the word of God, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Every word. How some people, they want to say some of God's word is truthful, but some of it isn't. Some of it is inerrant, but some of it isn't. No, every word. Charles Spurgeon says we live by every word. In places where they cut diamonds, they sweep up the dust. Because the very dust of the diamonds is valuable. And in the word of God, all truth is so precious that the very tiniest truth, if there be such a thing, is still diamond dust and is unspeakably precious. Don't let anyone lie to you saying certain parts of the Bible don't really belong there. Certain parts of the Bible are not really God-breathed. The entire word of God is inerrant. It's God-breathed, as Jesus would put it, to the jot and the tittle. To the dots on the I's and the crosses on the T's. God has protected and kept his word until today and until forever. Verse 4 and 5. Every parent's dream for their toddlers. Your garments did not wear out on you, nor did your foot swell these 40 years. You should know in your heart that as a man chastens his son... So the Lord chastens you. So not only did God perform the miracle of having enough food for 2 million people every day in a barren desert. Not only did God perform the miracle of having enough water every day for 2 million people in the barren desert. But God performed the miracle of keeping 2 million people clothed for 40 years without a TJ Maxx. Right? He was able to do all of this. He protected and guarded even their clothing and even their feet, it tells us here. Some of us, we can't go an eight-hour shift without our feet swelling, right? And yet here it says their feet did not swell for 40 years. In Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 5, it's put a little bit different. It says, I've led you 40 years in the wilderness. Your clothes have not worn out on you and your sandals have not worn out on you. On your feet. Our God, he cares for us. That's what he's revealing to us there. Not only does he want to take them to a land where they're going to live and multiply and possess. But he also took care of them while they were in the wilderness. Not just with food and water, but even with clothing. Our God, he cares for you. He protects you. And because he loves you and because he protects you, he's more than willing to chasten you. And lots of times we like the first two. We pray for a lot of that. Lord, provide for me, and Lord, protect me. But Lord, let's quit with the chastening. Let, let, let's quit with this discipline-type thing. He chastened them as a father chastens his son. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and scourges every son whom he receives. And if you endure chastening... God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. God chastens us because he loves us. I may get in a little bit of trouble here, but parents, don't allow the world today to lie to you, saying that chastening means that you don't love your kids. Because then you're saying your love as a parent is greater than God's love for us. Just realize that when you start messing with discipline and biblical discipline for a parent. Verse 6 through 9, back to Deuteronomy 8. Therefore you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land. A land of brooks of water of fountains and springs that flow out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive oil and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. Some believers think that Our growth process with the Lord is some type of torture chamber. That God's sanctifying work within us should just be this miserable and terrible way of life. It's the very opposite. The more we're disciplined, the more we grow, the more we get to know the Lord our God, the more joy there is, the more blessings there are, the more happiness is truly there. And if we keep and guard and protect the Word of God... And keep and guard and protect our obedience to it, we will be blessed. Because we live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And the more we're obedient to his word, the more life we will have. He tells them in verse 6 to keep the commandments of the Lord your God, to walk in his ways, and to fear him. The fear of the Lord brings us so many good things. In Proverbs eight thirteen it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs sixteen six in the in mercy and truth atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord one departs from evil. One last one here, Proverbs 19, verse 23. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. The fear of the Lord, it leads to life. And notice, God tells him, hey, you just pay attention to keeping my commandments, walking in my ways, and fearing me. And then what does God take care of in verse 7 through 9? Everything else. All of their needs. God takes care of the fountains and the food and the bread and the water and even the iron and the copper. All the nation of Israel had to be concerned about was obeying the word of God. It's the Old Testament version of Matthew six thirty-three: Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. You take care of God's business, and God will take care of your business. Israel did not have to be worried and concerned with the giants of the land. Israel did not have to be worried or concerned with the military conquests or how they were going to plan or finagle them taking over the land of Canaan. Israel just needed to be concerned with their obedience to the Lord their God and with his word. They needed to respect God more than anything else, and God would take care of the rest. Now we have a great warning here in verse 10 and 11. When you have eaten and are full, then you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land which he has given you. Beware that you do not forget the Lord your God, by not keeping his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes, which I command you today. I think if many of us are honest, and there are two scales, one of our prayer requests and one of our prayers of praise and just thank yous to the Lord, I think most of us would agree, you are pretty lopsided. We quickly and constantly come to the Lord when we have any need. When we've done wrong and we're praying we don't get what we deserve, But how often, when we're full, when we're blessed, when we're enjoying life, do we take a moment to step back and just bless and thank the Lord our God, giving Him the glory for our blessings and our full bellies or full bank accounts or the new car or whatever blessings we have? And once again, the reminder is to not forget. To not forget. The wives will probably be able to answer this better than the husbands. What happens when you keep reminding someone, hey, don't forget about this. Don't forget about this. Don't forget about this. It's on the calendar. Don't forget about this. It's on the calendar. Why would someone do that? Because that person's prone to forgetting. And we've seen here in these first 10 verses, has the Lord not repeated himself over and over again? Remember the Lord your God and do not forget. Remember the Lord your God and do not forget. Remember the Lord your God and do not forget. We are prone to forgetting God's goodness in our lives. We are prone to forgetting we were once in the miry clay, we were once in the pigsty, and God pulled us out. And like that video with that sheep that's running, right? Stuck in the crevice. The guys, the shepherds, are wrestling the sheep. They finally pull him out. The sheep's running. And then what does he do two seconds later? Right back in the crevice, right? That's exactly what we do. We forget God's word. And the way we forget is by not guarding, not keeping, not protecting like a good soldier his commandments, his judgments, and his statutes. We need to guard our time in the word of God. We need to guard our obedience to the word of God lest we forget the Lord our God. Proverbs one thirty two says, The turning away of the simple will slay them, and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Last week we had Pastor Travis here, and he reminded us of the sin of complacency. David forgot all that the Lord had done for him. David had forgotten all the blessings that God had done for him, and he grew complacent. In Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8 and 9, there's a beautiful prayer for us to pray. Lord, remove falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be fool and deny you. And say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. Maybe you're here and you've just been striving for more money and more money and more money. And no matter what happens, it seems like every time you make more money, the bills increase and something explodes in the house, right? Perhaps the Lord's protecting you from being so full that you forget the Lord your God. Verse 12, it says, Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built beautiful houses and dwell in them, and when your herds and your flocks multiply... And your silver and your gold are multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied. When your heart is lifted up, and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage. Who led you through the great and terrible wilderness, in which were fiery serpents and scorpions, and thirsty land where there was no water who brought water for you out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna, which your fathers did not know that he might humble you and that he might test you to do good in the end. Then you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gained me this wealth. God was warning us of this great danger because Quickly, we forget about all that God has done for us. And all the prayers and all the begging for miracles. And then we stand back and we think in our heart, look at what I have done. I deserve this. Sadly, many of us. I, I've been there. You're in great difficulty. Your kids are sick and it seems like nothing's happening. You're praying all night long. God heals them. What happens a month later, a year later, two years later? Am I still praying all night long? Not at all. How quickly we can forget what God has done for us. And sadly, many church attendees who once were with us, who once prayed for miracles, who once prayed for the miracle of a pregnancy, or the miracle of a marriage, or the miracle of a job, or the miracle of retirement, or the miracle of a house or a car, and God answers that prayer... And then slowly but surely they forget the Lord their God. They no longer attend church regularly at all. They, like the prodigal son, receive their inheritance and walk away from the Father. Sadly, some of us, we've been there. Hopefully, we're on the other side of it. We've realized, man, God answered that prayer, and I totally flaked out. I prayed for a miracle in my marriage. I started coming to every service. He fixed my marriage, and all of a sudden, I forgot about... The Lord my God. Verse 18, he reminds us once again, and you shall remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you power to get wealthy, that he may establish his covenant, which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Instead of forgetting, remember the Lord your God and remember his power, because he has plans and purposes for you far beyond this life. So often we're just stuck and rooted in this life that we forget his covenant with us started long before us and his covenant with us is far beyond life and marriage and houses and children and toys. His covenant with us is to go into eternal life with him for all of eternity. He's the one that gives power to get wealthy. Maybe you're that believer. Sometimes believers they get down on wealthy people. Take it up with the Lord. God is the one that gives that power to that person and maybe they can be a good steward and you would be a terrible steward of it and that's why he hasn't given it to you. He's done all this that he would establish his covenant which he swore to your fathers as it is this day. Finally, verse 19 and 20. Then it shall be, if you by any means forget the Lord your God and follow other gods, And serve them and worship them, I testify against you this day that you shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroys before you, so you shall perish, because you would not be obedient to the voice of the Lord your God. God hates pride, He hates pride. And the unbeliever, and he hates pride in the believer. Our God, He is fair, He is righteous, and He is an equal opportunity. God, maybe you've been there as a kid, your brother, or sister gets into trouble and you start mocking them in front of your parent, right? And all of a sudden your mom says, Oh yeah, you want some too, right? And grabs you, and now all of a sudden you're getting disciplined too out of nowhere because of your pride. Sadly, many Christians get puffed up with pride, and we can begin looking down on on unbelievers, and yet we're living just like them. And we start living just like them, and we think, because I attended church for such and such amount of time, because my dad is such and such a pastor, or my mom is such and such an incredible children's ministry worker— I won't go down the road of all the nations which the Lord God destroyed before me. God, he is fair, he is righteous, and he is just. To the believer and to the unbeliever. Galatians chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will out of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Whatever you're sowing into, that's exactly what you're going to reap. Whether you're attending church or not. Whatever you're sowing into, even if you're serving or not, that's exactly what you're going to reap. And our God hates pride. He hates pride. The nation of Israel, they began to think that they were special, that they were beyond any destruction or any chastening of the Lord because they were God's chosen and special people. But our God hates pride. Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. These six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him a proud look, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, feet that are swift in running to evil, a false witness who speaks lies, and one who sows discord among the brethren. God hates these six things. These seven are an absolute abomination to him. One last scripture, worship team, you guys can come up. Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Whether you're a believer or unbeliever, if you begin showing arrogance, if you begin going down the route of the evil way, if you begin to have that perverse mouth... If you begin to sow discord among the brethren, if you're lying, if you're quickly running to evil, if you're devising wicked plans, if you're shedding innocent blood, if you're lying, if you have that proud look, the Lord hates it. And if you are that son or daughter, you'll quickly realize he doesn't let you get away with anything. That's what you quickly realize. Maybe that was you in school. You do one little thing, and boom! Principal sees it. Everybody finds out. It's broadcasted online. Your dad and mom see it, right? Because the Lord chastens those that He loves. He loves you. So stop going and running in the opposite direction. So the question for us is: Hey, do you want life? Do you want life and that abundantly? Then remember, guard your listening to God's word. Protect and preserve your obedience. To God's word and keep like a soldier your remembrance of God's word and what God has done in your life hey let's all stand and we'll close in worship if you need prayer one of the pastors would love nothing more than to be able to pray with you so Lord we thank you Lord thank you for your word Lord thank you that you don't hide the good bad and the ugly of your chosen people Israel Lord And God, we know that many believers, Lord, have done good things, Lord. Lord, many of us, Lord, we've done bad things. And Lord, I've done so many ugly things, Lord. Lord, we ask that you'd forgive us, Lord. Lord, and strengthen us. Strengthen us, Lord, with so much darkness today, Lord. Strengthen us, Lord, with so much sin, Lord. So much sexual sin, Lord, chasing men and women down today through their phone, through the computer, Lord, through every email and every link, Lord. Lord, help us to be holy as you are holy, Lord. Help us to truly cling to what is good and to abhor what is evil. Lord, help us to not water down holiness, God. Lord, help us to not water down the high standard that you have for your people, Lord, a kingdom of priests and kings, Lord, help us to uphold that standard. And, Lord, when we fail and when we mess up, Lord, help us to be obedient to your word. Lord, strengthen us to not allow the enemy to condemn us, Lord, or ourselves to be condemning us, Lord. But, Lord, strengthen us to be biblical, Lord, to confess our sins, to repent, and to just follow hard after you once again. Lord, we love you. Again, thank you for tonight. Thank you for so much of the family coming on out, Lord. Help us to continue to encourage one another and pray for one another and be there for one another, Lord. We love you. We thank you, Jesus. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, I'll encourage you. We had this encouragement in the young adults retreat. I encourage you to, hey, come up front and pray with one of the pastors. But if you need prayer and there's someone else here that you love and you know you can ask them for prayer, Or if there's someone you know that's hurting, hey, maybe the Lord puts it in your heart to go and to pray for them. Prayer is not a bad thing. And you're in the family, pray for one another, bear one another's burdens, and continue to love on one another. So let's worship and let's pray.